You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be taking a look at Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17, where the Scripture teaches us not to fall back into fear. But before we take a look at that portion of Scripture, just a couple quick things I wanted to share with you. First off, I want to invite you to stop by our website, which is desirejesus.com. And on our website, I'd like you to do two things. First off, I'd invite you to sign up for our weekly newsletter that we send out on Tuesdays. But I'd also want to point your attention to one resource that we have in our bookstore. And that's a book that I wrote a while ago. It's a very brief book, and it's only available in digital format, but it's called Building a Christ-Centered Marriage. I just received a message from someone earlier today asking me some questions about marriage and asking me to pray for their marriage, and so I've been doing that today. But it reminded me that this is a resource that we have available in our bookstore for those of you who might be interested in it. Again, it's a an ebook that's called Building a Christ-Centered Marriage, and you'll see it right toward the top of the page on our bookstore page on the website. The website, again, desirejesus.com. And if this is a resource that you'd be interested in checking out, be sure to visit our website and take advantage of that. That's why we put these resources out. We hope that it's helpful to you in your walk with Christ. We hope it's helpful to you in your marriage as well. Now, as I mentioned just a moment ago, today we're taking a look at Romans chapter 8. We're going to be starting at verse 12, and we're going to go all the way down to verse 17 as we talk about the fact that we should not fall back into fear. So let's take a look together. So this morning we're going to continue our look at the book of Romans, and today we're in like the middle section here of Romans chapter 8, as we look at Romans 8, verse 12, we're going to be looking at verse 12 down to verse 17 as we talk about the fact that we have been called not to fall back into fear. So if you would take your Bibles and turn there with me, Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 12, this is what it says. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father." The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege that it is this morning to be able to look at your word together And we pray, Father, that as we look at this portion of Scripture that encourages us not to fall back into fear, that we would understand what that looks like from multiple angles as we examine the truth of this passage. Lord, we're grateful for the privilege that it is to be able to start off our week like this, to be able to look at your word together right now. And again, we pray that you'd speak these truths to our hearts and that you'd prepare us, Lord, for all that you have in store for us, this side of heaven and beyond. And we're grateful for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
fear. So this portion of scripture is going to be talking about fear as we look at this. And I think fear is a normal emotion that we all experience to one degree or another. And it's interesting, when, when, you, when you hear the word fear, I imagine that your initial reaction to fear is probably negative, right? I don't think anyone hears the word fear and automatically starts thinking good things. I tend to think of negative things when I think of the word fear. But there's actually a good fear that Scripture speaks about. A good fear that's spoken of in Scripture is the fear of the Lord. And what that means is, you know, the fear of the Lord is a healthy reverence, a healthy respect for God that impacts our desire to glorify him. It impacts our desire to obey him. That's a healthy fear when we revere and when we respect God. We want to experience that kind of fear. We want to experience that kind of reverence and respect. And we want our lives to be characterized by a reverence and respect for God. That's beneficial. And in fact, Scripture tells us we can't grow truly wise without that kind of fear. So that kind of fear we need. But there's an unhealthy form of fear as well. And that's what the Apostle Paul is cautioning us about in the portion of Scripture that we just read from Romans chapter 8, this unhealthy form of fear. And this unhealthy form of fear, what it does when you look at the words that we just read, and we're going to look at these in detail here in the coming moments, but what what you'll see just as a a general theme here is that unhealthy fear, it takes the form of insecurity. So you see that in some respect, takes the form of insecurity, that unhealthy fear. And it also can take the form of uh, willful ignorance. So you can see this this, um, insecurity or this willful ignorance being the fruit of that unhealthy kind of fear. Unhealthy fear exists when we believe that circumstances are outside of our control. And we feel reasonably certain uh, that there's a good chance that things will not be working out for our good or in our favor. So in a context of like like that, maybe um, the way it plays out in your life is maybe you're afraid of someone who has the capacity to harm you. Or maybe you fear experiencing circumstances that bear a resemblance to painful experiences from your past. And you don't want to repeat those things. Or maybe you're living in fear right now because you don't feel completely confident about what's in store for your future. Those would be the kind of areas of fear that the Apostle Paul's addressing here in Romans chapter 8. And I think we'd all agree that one of the greatest fears that humanity wrestles with in general is the fear of death. But one of the greatest joys we experience through a relationship with Jesus Christ is the removal of that fear. Because death has been defeated. That fear can't be held over our heads the same way as it once as it once could, because Christ defeated death when he rose from the grave, just like we sang about together just a few moments ago. His victory is our victory. His outlook is now our outlook. But if you've been living in fear, if that's something that you would say you would characterize major portions of your life, if you put them under that kind of umbrella, this idea of living in fear or falling back into fear, Even before we start looking at the details of these verses, what I'd like to encourage you to do is to ask the Lord to reveal to your heart what might be feeding that fear. Because if fear is a characteristic that you're noticing is pretty dominant in your day-to-day life, there's something feeding that. So what's feeding that? What's feeding that kind of fear? Because truthfully, when we live out what it says in this portion of Scripture... 
We don't need to live in that kind of fear any longer. We don't need to live with an unhealthy kind of fear. And if you've noticed a sense of fear maybe even re-emerging in your life, I think Romans chapter 8, verse 12, down to verse 17, where we're looking at today, I think it's a great passage to review, and it's a great passage to take to heart all over again, because this portion of God's Word shows us why we don't need to fall back into fear, and it also shows us how we can begin living like we're truly alive in Christ. And one of the things we see in the opening verses that we just looked at a few moments ago that I'm going to reread for us right now is that we're called to live like we know we're truly alive. Look again at verse 12. This is what it says. It says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So let's pause there for a second. This portion of Scripture, what's it doing? It's encouraging us to live like we know we're truly alive. Well, what does that mean? Well, let me ask, let me ask this, just because of the time of the year that it is. But have you ever gone through a season of, of life where you felt like you were a little bit down? You felt like you were a little bit discouraged, but you weren't exactly sure why that was the case? You ever have a season like that? You're like, why am I down? Why am I discouraged? I don't necessarily have an event that I can point this to. Why do I feel this way? It doesn't feel completely rational. I remember first noticing this about myself in particular a little less than 20 years ago. I had just started pastoring a church in northeast Pennsylvania, and I noticed a pattern after a few years that at a certain spot in the year, that would happen to me. And I was like, why? Like, this is not rational. Like, what is this? Why is that? And then I discovered, no, lots of people feel that way, like right in the heart of winter. Do you ever get that? Like, I'm so thankful for a day like today where it's so sunny. I just want to go outside. Like, can we just take the the worship service outside right now? And just like, I even, you know, when I was uh, deciding what to wear today, I was like, it's sunny. Short sleeves, obviously, right? You know, it's, it's the middle of January, the end of January. And I'm like, yeah, short sleeves. It's sunny. Because I've noticed that the weather can have an impact on my emotions. And maybe you've noticed that as well. I think it probably, to some degree, the weather impacts just about everyone's emotions to one degree or another. But I noticed that, like, during the heart of the winter, when everything would get cold and dark and just kind of just seem miserable outside, I would get to a spot where I just felt so lethargic or just kind of like bummed. And I was trying to figure out like, why do I feel this way? Like circumstantially, everything seems like it's going fine. And then I realized, no, there's other weird people like you that in the heart of winter uh, also feel this way. You are not alone, you know? And, uh, but I also look at something like that and I say to myself, okay, well, weather or circumstances or relationships or health concerns or all sorts of changes that could take place around us that we have no sort of control over. Those are things, yeah, those can certainly impact our emotions. But when you look at a portion of scripture like this, it teaches us that there's good news. And that good news is that we've been blessed with an abundant life in Christ that supersedes anything that has the capacity to drag us down emotionally. It supersedes all of it whether it's weather that's bringing you down or circumstances, relationships, health concerns, job changes, marital difficulties, whatever it may be. This portion of Scripture teaches us we have an abundant life in Christ 
that supersedes all the things that can drag us down emotionally. In Christ, by the Holy Spirit, we're told here that we've been made truly alive with life everlasting, and we're actually encouraged to live like people who are convinced of that. Right? People who are convinced that, that we can live like we're truly alive. Not just the knowledge of this in our head, but we're living it out with our heart and with our hands. In every aspect of our lives, we're living like Christ has made us truly alive. So you have Paul framing this in a particular way in this portion of Scripture. And when you look at these verses here, verses 12 and 13 in particular, Paul speaks of debts, or he begins to speak about our, our obligations. And he tells us here, we're not obligated to obey the passions of our own, our, our old sinful nature, right? He says, you're not obligated to this, right? You're not a debtor to the flesh, he phrases it here. You're not obligated to obey the passions of your old sinful nature. We aren't debtors to the flesh who are obligated to live as if our flesh is still calling the shots in our lives. In fact, the way he phrases it here, you know, he tells us that those who live according to the dictates of their old nature, what they're showing is that they haven't experienced true life yet. They're, show that, they're showing that, they, that they're still facing each day in a state of spiritual death. Even though the offer of new life through Jesus Christ is right there being offered, right there in front of them. They're still facing each day in a mental state of spiritual death. Now, if you've come to know Christ, you know him personally. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, he's your Lord, he's your Savior. You don't need to live continually like you're spiritually dead. That's not something that needs to be a characteristic of your day-to-day life. In fact, on the contrary, when you look at what we're told in this chapter, we're being encouraged to utilize the power of the Holy Spirit to put to death the old manner of living that our old nature once embraced. So we could fully experience the kind of life that we've been recreated by God to experience. So what does that look like? Like, what does it look like to live like we're actually truly alive in Christ? What is scripture, when you look at the, the whole counsel of God's word, what does it teach us about these sort of things? You know, and, and if right now, you know, if you feel like you've been living a life that's primarily characterized by fear, or if you feel like you've been living a life that feels still way too dominated by the desires of your old nature, your sin nature, you feel like that's the case, what does it look like for that to be different? How can we live like we're truly alive. Well, I want to point out a few related things from Scripture for us this morning that give us a picture of what it looks like to live this new life that we have in Christ. A few things, four things I want to suggest, even though this is not an exhaustive list. There are other things we could add to this, but I want to point out just four particular things that you'll see elsewhere in Scripture that, that work well with this portion of Scripture to give us a full picture. First off, live as Jesus lived. Live as Jesus lived. So, you know, think about this in the context of your day-to-day life. You're going to experience people. You're going to experience circumstances. You're going to experience moments in your life where you're going to have the opportunity to make choices. And you're going to have the opportunity to make decisions. And you can approach different things with a mindset that either reflects Christ or the priorities of this world. And the scripture encourages us to live as Jesus lived. Look at what it says in 1 John 2, 6. It says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So I think one of the most practical ways that we could uh, apply that to our day-to-day lives is to just look at our circumstances and simply ask, in this context, 
How would Christ handle this? In this context, what words do I think Christ would say or would he have me to say? In this context, what truths would he want me to believe and have my heart, my heart anchored to so that I'm not buying into the mindset of the world? Live as Jesus lived. Scripture also teaches us to nail our old passions to the cross. Well, look at what it says in Galatians 5.24. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And I know in my life, one of the things that I've noticed that, you know, when sin tends to hang around a little too long, one of the things that I've noticed that I find myself doing in those moments, I'm either hiding the sin or I'm nurturing it or I'm doing both. Instead of nailing it to the cross, you know, there are go-to things that you and I have gravitated to over the course of our lives. Uh, things that we know that they're unhealthy, but yet sometimes they tend to be some of our go-tos if we're not feeling um, as good as we would like to feel. And what does the scripture tell us? You know, in Galatians 5.24, it says what? Nail those passions to the cross. Don't nurture them. Don't hide them. Don't feed them. Don't welcome them into your day-to-day -day life. If you want to live like you're truly alive, nail those passions to the cross because Christ already suffered for them. For you, taking those things upon himself, taking your sin upon himself, nail your old passions to the cross. Scripture also teaches us to be people who stop saying no to God. Think about that for just a second. Stop saying no to God. I love what it says in Psalm 143.10. It says, teach me to do your will for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. Now teach me to do your will. May your spirit lead me. Like these are the concepts that the scripture is teaching us. I'll tell you, you, one of the things that will bring you down and will produce fear over the course of your life, if you allow it to, is if you have a continual pattern of saying no to God. Because there's going to be a part of your conscience that's violated every time you do that. I know that every time in my life that I say yes to God, I also experience a peace and a contentment knowing that I've obeyed him, knowing that I'm walking in the center of his will. And every time I try and do my own thing, because the thing that God's asking me to do is too hard or too awkward, or it stretches me in a way that I don't feel like I'm ready to be stretched or whatever it may be, there's a part of my conscience that feels violated. And what does the scripture tell us? It, tell, it teaches us to be people who say yes to God. Don't say no to God. If the Lord impresses upon your heart to do something or to say something. I was blessed the other day. Um, let's see, Julia. Can I use you as an example without permission ahead of time? You don't even know what I'm going to say. But this encouraged me. I promise it's good. All right? And if it's not good, I owe you ice cream. All right? But she blessed me. She encouraged me. Um, I noticed, uh, you know, recently, you know, she's getting older, and, and so we've started to allow Julia to utilize social media. And there was a friend of hers that had uh, an unsavory word in his screen name. And I said, you know what, I know that that's a friend of yours, but here's the deal. Um, I'd, I'd like you to tell him that if he wants to be friends with my daughter on Instagram, he's got to remove that word from his screen name. Otherwise, you have to block him. And she's like, Okay. And so she walked up to her friend at school and said, listen, here's the deal. Um, my dad and I were chatting. And you have to change your screen name. And he's like, what? 
what do you, what do you mean? Why do I have to change? She's like, first of all, your screen name's dumb. Uh, and second of all, if you want to interact on social media, you can't have that word in your screen name. And so yesterday, my wife was on Instagram, and she looked, she's like, he changed his screen name. I was like, Julia, high five, yes. But I appreciated that because there were a couple things that she had told us in, in a row that I was like, the, the reason it blessed me so much is not so much because I felt like she was listening to me as her dad, which I know that that factored in, but I think the deeper thing that motivated her was the fact that her conscience agreed with that. And so when you get into issues of conscience, you know, for us as believers, who's speaking to our conscience? Well, when you look at Psalm 143, what does it say? May your gracious spirit lead me forward. That's a Holy Spirit speaking to your conscience. When the Holy Spirit speaks to your conscience, even in an awkward, is there not more and more awkward season of life than middle school? Right? If you can listen to the Holy Spirit speak to your conscience in middle school, you are setting up your life for good results. Because that's hard for us at any season of life. Listen when God speaks to your conscience. Listen to him. Don't say no to him if you want to experience a life where you feel like, yeah, I'm truly living, like I'm, like I'm alive. And one other thing that Scripture invites us to do is to see everything and everyone from God's perspective. It tells us in Ephesians 1, verse 17 and 18, it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Again, what does it say? Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. You know, that we see everything and everyone from God's perspective. Do you, do you realize what kind of difference it would make in this world if we all saw one another from the perspective of God? How would we speak to each other? How would we treat each other? You know, what would occur if we could begin to see each other with the value that God sees us with? Recognizing that your brothers and your sisters in Christ have been created in the image of God. And even those who don't know the Lord have been created in the image of God. And the Lord wants us to see everything and everyone, every circumstance and every person from his eyes, from his perspective. I think this is all part of what it looks like to live like we're truly alive. And if we've come to know Christ, we don't need to retreat back to the deadness of a life or a perspective without him. He's made you new. And then the scripture is going to go on to tell us that he's also made you an indispensable part of his family. Look at what it tells us next. In verses 14 and 15, as it tells us about this standing we have in the family of God, and it encourages us, I believe, to be confident of this standing. In verse 14, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Let's pause there for just a second. Now, I was in high school. Um, there was a, a lady in town who uh, a friend of mine told me about because she did a real good job cutting hair. And I was looking for a place to get my hair cut that I could walk to. And uh, so I started walking there, and she only charged five bucks. So it's five bucks, and you get a really good haircut. And I was like, this is, this is for me. 
And the way styles were back then, you know, there was a lot of things like you were getting your head shaved really close. And so you needed a haircut every two weeks. So I would make a haircut appointment for every two weeks. I think it was on Tuesdays. Every two weeks on a Tuesday, I would get my haircut. Every two weeks. Always would go in. And the lady that would cut my hair, I haven't seen her in decades now, but she was a complete joy. I always enjoyed not just getting my haircut there, but also just the experience of an adult that would talk to me as, you know, a 13-year-old, 14-year-old, as like a peer. And she would just share stories. And it was always so interesting and fun. It was always a highlight uh, to go there and get your haircut. She did it well, right? And uh, I remember at one point she was telling me about her family. And she was saying uh, how not too long prior, her father had had some major health needs. To the point, I don't remember exactly what her father needed at this point now, but I believe he needed an organ transplant of some kind. In my mind, I think it may have been a kidney or something along those lines. And so they had asked him if there was a member of his family that they could maybe test and see if they'd be a genetic match. Maybe someone in his close family would be willing to donate a kidney to him. And so they started talking about that. And immediately she said, well, I will. You know, you could have one of my kidneys. I have a spare anyway. You know, I've got a spare. You can have that. Um, and, uh, and they're like, okay, well, this is great. And then it dawned on her soon after she'd volunteered. She's like, wait a second. I'm not going to be a genetic match for this kidney. I'm adopted. They adopted me. Like, that didn't even occur to her, though, in that moment. She volunteered to donate the kidney as a genetic match, and then was like, wait a second. I'm adopted. But one of the things that stood out to me that I loved about that story is the depth of love that she felt from her father. He loved her. Like, there was no categorization in their family of, of natural born or adopted or something like that. She was his daughter. And he was her dad. And she loved him enough that she'd be willing to give him her her kidney. And I always appreciated hearing that story. And I think about it a lot when I come across passages of Scripture like this. Because what does it tell us here in this portion of Scripture? It tells us that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And then it says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. What do you think the Lord wants us to understand about the nature of our relationship with him when we look at some of these words? And I believe God wants us to be confident of our standing in his family. And I think that scripture that we just read makes that very clear. So in this passage, we're told that those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. The Holy Spirit doesn't live within those who are not part of God's family. If the Holy Spirit lives within you, you are part of the family of God. The moment we receive the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, we are in that moment indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And he leads us, and he counsels us, and he comforts us. And having the Holy Spirit living within us, as he lives within us, this is one of the greatest benefits of being part of the family of God. We're blessed with his help. We're blessed with his presence through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. But one thing we didn't receive through faith in Christ is a spirit of fear. In Christ, we've received the Holy Spirit. And we've been set free to live as children of God, which also means we are no longer slaves to fear, and we are no longer slaves to unrighteousness. 
Now, many of the people we know in this world are unfortunately still living as spiritual and emotional slaves. But those who have met Jesus Christ, those who have received Christ, have been set free from that kind of slavery. Scripture teaches us that we've been graciously adopted into the family of God. And again, how are we referred to here? We're referred to here as his sons, whether you're male, whether you're female. You're referred to here as his sons. The idea is, in that culture, in this era, sons would have greater inheritance rights than daughters did. And what's this saying? The saying is that the Lord has adopted all who are his children, male or female, into his family with the same kind of rights that a son would have in that culture. That you've been given those kind of inheritance rights in his kingdom. We aren't distant relatives of God. We're his very children. That's what the scripture reveals to us in this portion of his word, or what the Lord reveals to us in this portion of his word. I'll have to tell you, and I know this wouldn't be a a surprise. um, Well, I'll say this. We have a really good friend whose due date was, was it the day before yesterday? Yeah, her due date was the day before yesterday. And uh, she and her husband are about to welcome their first child into this world and And uh, we're very excited for them and looking forward to how the Lord blesses them. And I have to tell you, one of the greatest experiences that I've ever had over the course of my life is the blessing of hearing four different people call me dad. I love it. I really do love it. And my kids know that I love it, even when sometimes I don't show that I love it. You know, there are definitely low moments in my life where I'm not convinced that I showed that I loved it as much as I should have. Um, But I got to tell you, and particularly the first time they ever say that, Rich Smith, come on, you know it, right? Long distance high five. You know this, right? Like, you know, you can give like the toughest, gruffest exterior you want, but then you hear like some little, uh, you know, munchkin call you dad, and you're like, it's a really good moment. <laughs> it's a really good moment. And you, you love it and you enjoy it. It makes me so happy to hear my children even call me that now. Um, sometimes, you know, they're all old now, right? But sometimes just to be funny, my wife and I like to insist to them, like, yeah, I think you still have to call us mommy and daddy in public. You have to call us. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. They're like, keep doing that. We'll start using your first names, right? But when you look at this portion of scripture, what's it telling us? You know, the scripture's trying to tell us that when we come before our heavenly father, he's not unhappy about that. He finds great joy in the fact that you call him father. In fact, the scripture tells us that you get to call him Abba, father. Abba, father. It's the equivalent of referring to to God the father as your daddy. You get to come before him confident that he loves you enough that you get to call him that. You know, not father in a distant sense, but Abba, father. Your daddy, we're given the privilege to live in that kind of relationship with him. We're given that kind of access to him. Good friend of mine, growing up, uh, he didn't didn't know his dad. And one of the things I remember him telling me at one point, he said, you know what, some of the scriptures that encourage my heart the most are these scriptures that remind me that God is the father to the fatherless, and I get to call him Abba, Father, that that's the kind of relationship I get to have with him. It's like my earthly father didn't stick around, but I get to know my heavenly father. And that's the offer that the Lord gives to us. 
So with that in mind, do you live with a confident knowledge that you're part of God's family? One of the detriments, by the way, that we're likely to experience in this world, if we're not people who spend regular time in the Word, if we're not people who spend regular time in prayer, is we actually might start to live with a forgetfulness that we're part of God's family. Or forgetfulness that God loves us on this kind of level. And that he gives us this kind of access into his presence. But when the word of God is fresh in your mind, you're seeking the Lord daily in prayer, becomes more instinctual to remain confident of your standing in the family of God. And by the way, it also becomes, in a very related way, as you can see Paul develop this thought here, it becomes easier to maintain hope toward the future even when you're in the midst of seasons of suffering, because you're confident of who God is. You're confident of how he loves you, and he's taken your fear of these things, he's taken it away, because you give it over to him. And so Paul, as we look at like the last section that we're going to look at this morning here, he reminds us that when you suffer, keep looking forward to the future. Look at verse 16 and verse 17 again, it says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Recently, I learned that two elderly people that I'm friends with, people that I've I've come to know, uh, one recently and one over the course of a long time, they're both in the hospital recovering from major injuries related to falling. And these have been painful injuries. In fact, one of those folks is Jane Fox. So many of you know Jane. And if you could pray for Jane, I know that she'd certainly appreciate it. But they're clearly suffering in the physical sense And I've been remembering them in prayer over the course of the past week and a half or so. And they're suffering right now, and that's obvious. But there's a form of suffering that when you look at this portion of Scripture as it describes it, it's not necessarily something physical in nature. And if you openly profess your love in Jesus Christ and the love that you have for Jesus Christ, you're likely to experience this kind of suffering at some point over the course of your life. Now, during the course of his life, the Apostle Paul came to know Christ, and then he labored to make Christ known to others. And in the midst of the culture that he lived in, he was frequently mistreated. He was frequently ostracized. Uh, Several times he was imprisoned, and then eventually he was executed. So I think we can consider Paul a credible witness when it comes to the subject of suffering. And I hope we desire to be as committed to living out our faith in Christ as Paul was. But if that's the case, we need to be aware that that kind of decision comes at a cost. If you want to live out your faith in Christ, if you want to be open about the fact that you love Jesus Christ, there is going to be a cost you will eventually pay for choosing to do so. And just as Jesus Christ was willing to suffer for us, we may be called upon to suffer for his name. You or I, Christians throughout the world, may be called upon to suffer for his name. So let me ask this. Would you be willing to suffer shame or banishment or being ostracized or being imprisoned or even being put to death for bearing the name of Christ? Would you be willing to experience any one of those things if that was the Lord's calling for you? 
You look at what Paul said here in this portion of Scripture. He tells us that as fellow heirs with Christ, we should not expect to be glorified with Christ if we aren't willing to suffer for him now. I think that's one of those draw a line in the sand kind of statements. You find these from time to time in the Scripture. But he's saying a very hard thing here. He's saying if you're not willing to suffer for Christ now, don't expect to be glorified with him later because what you're displaying is you don't really trust in him to begin with. You don't trust in him. You don't love him. If you're not willing to suffer, you'd suffer for a member of your family that you loved. You would. You know, if your spouse was going through something, you'd suffer with them. If you love your kids, you'd suffer with them. But if you wouldn't suffer for the name of Christ, you're showing you don't actually love him. And Paul's saying here, if you're not willing to suffer with them, you're not, don't expect to be glorified with him because you're showing that you don't truly believe. But if you do believe and you do love him and you are open about that, expect some level of suffering this side of heaven. It's not going to last forever, but expect it. It's probably going to come at some point or another. Jesus said this in John 15. He said, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, if, don't expect to be treated any better than he was in this world. Anytime I'm tempted to complain about my circumstances or, you know, if things don't go exactly like I thought, this is a helpful thing for me to remind myself of. Don't expect to be, why, like, why is that expectation in my mind or your mind sometimes? I, sometimes I have to be brought right back to this. I'm like, why do I even think, why do I think that I deserve better treatment than Jesus experienced in this world? When he said the exact opposite, right? He said, if they persecuted me, what are they going to do? They're going to persecute you. Expect it. Don't stress over it. Don't even be afraid of it. Just understand it's the reality. But when we suffer like this, what do we do? We suffer with an eye toward the future. You don't have to stay mentally stuck in that moment. Scripture teaches us that we are children of God, which makes us heirs in the kingdom of God. And he intends to glorify and reward his true children in ways that far exceed the riches that our minds could possibly imagine. I think the knowledge of this truth should should give us a, a sense of hopeful comfort in the midst of the suffering that we endure for Christ's name, this side of heaven. So let me say a couple quick things as we finish up. The Word of God reminds us that, yes, you may suffer and I may suffer, but our suffering is only for a season. And we don't need to fear it. In 1 Peter 1.6 it says, So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Many trials, but for a little while. Just a little while. Do you, know, do you think with the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us that we can, that we can soldier on? Even if you're in the midst of a season right now where you feel like, are, are those many trials supposed to come all in the same week? You know, are they supposed to come all at the same time? Like, can't we spread these out over a lifetime? Why are they all, you know, hitting us at once? We have a friend right now who's going through some really, really serious trials. Hardest stuff she's ever gone through in her life. My wife and I have been regularly praying for her. But one of the things that's been encouraging her is this very truth. 
So be truly glad. It's a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while, just for a little while. All that to say, we don't have to fall back into a life of fear. The Lord invites us to live like we're truly alive. He invites us to remain confident of our standing in his family and to keep looking forward to the future, even in the midst of suffering that we may experience for a little while right now. It's only for a season. And even in the midst of that season, we don't need to fall back into fear. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to look at it together this morning and to think about things that that have not just a momentary significance, but have an eternal significance. Lord, we're so grateful for all that you've revealed to us in your word. Lord, we look at portions of scripture like we're looking at today. We're reminded of something that's very helpful, something that's very practical. That we don't need to fall back into fear. We don't need to live lives that are governed by fear. We don't need to gratify the desires of our old nature. We don't need to go back to a life that was lived apart from you. Or a life that was lived without hope toward the future. Father, through your son Jesus Christ, we have a hopeful outlook. Through your Holy Spirit who lives within us, we're comforted and assured of the things that you have in store for those that you call your own. Father, you've adopted us into your family through faith in your Son. You've made us your children. you made us heirs in your kingdom. So Lord, we pray that the life that we live, this side of heaven, would be a life that reflects that truth. We pray that we wouldn't have a desire to hold up the comforts of this world like idols in our lives, thinking that these are things that we need more so than we need you. Lord, we know that having you is is ultimately what we need. And we pray that our hearts would find contentment in you. So thank you, Lord, for the encouragement that you give to us through your word. We don't know what this day is going to bring or what this week is going to bring. But Lord, whatever our days or our weeks bring, we pray that we would not shrink back into fear simply because we've forgotten the promises that you've communicated in your word. Lord, we pray that by your grace that these would be things that stay very fresh in our hearts and very fresh in our minds, and that by your grace we would live them out day in and day out. We thank you for leading us, and we thank you for your comfort, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, stop by our website this week, desirejesus.com, and be sure to sign up for our newsletter if you're not already receiving it. But also, check out our bookstore and the resource that we have there called Building a Christ-Centered Marriage. We truly believe that'll be a help to you in your marriage and in your walk with Christ. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. And we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care.
Hello, I'm Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we are the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. What we believe is that addiction is not a surprise to God. That's right. We discuss addiction from a biblical worldview and how true freedom comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Absolute freedom from addiction. The secular worldview of once an addict, always an addict is just not true. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, subscribe to Life After Addiction at lifeaudio.com.